make a deal with Netflix and you don't have money that comes into you forever. You get paid and then money 20% more or 30% more, but you that's it. It didn't come natural to me. There's so many things that I think about now I wish I had known when I was younger. What I believe resonates with people who are particularly now is content that has some sort of meaning to it. It's more than just pure entertainment. And so suddenly MTV was the only thing it seemed in the whole world and all of Hollywood and everybody else was taking their cues from this startup. I did not know a single writer when I became a writer. I think if you're trying to become a writer from someplace other than Los Angeles and New York, I still think that's really difficult. Welcome to the Entertainment Business Wisdom Podcast with your hosts, Kaya Alexander and Sylvia Franklin. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm so excited to be here with you today for another episode of Entertainment Business Wisdom. I'm Kaya Alexander, and uh, I was a development exec back in the day on movies like Just Friends with Ryan Reynolds and The Good Night with Gwyneth Paltrow and Penelope Cruz. And then uh, after I left being a development exec, I went on to work for Gary Shandling. And I know that we have that in common with my special guest today, Mark Sotkin. I'm so excited to interview him. So let me take a minute to tell you about him and then we're going to we're going to dive right in. Mark is really a renaissance man. He began his writing career in 1976 and has been a staff writer and producer on more than 350 episodes of various situation comedies for every television network. His credits his credits include executive producer and head writer of Laverne and Shirley and the Golden Girls, as well as co-writing and co-producing two Gary Shandling specials for Showtime. He's been honored with multiple Emmy, Golden Globe, and Cable Ace Award nominations, and has won the prestigious Writers Guild Award. Mark was an early adopter and started creating content for the web in 1997, which is incredible, as founder and CEO of TalentStream.com. In 2008, he began writing, producing, and appearing in 109 episodes of his weekly Boomer Alley videos. In addition, he hosted Boomer Alley Radio, which aired weekly in Los Angeles, Colorado, and as a podcast to the world. He's also written three novels. I've written a couple, too. Um, He wrote The Comatose Adventures of Lenny Rose with and also with time off for bad behavior and kind of dirty Paris confessions. He co-created and launched a multimedia ebook, The Improbables, which is free and available for download, marksotkin.com, if you want to go grab that. In 2013, after years of participating in spin classes, Mark became a certified spin instructor. Just so awesome. So he's been teaching spin in Colorado and Santa Fe, New Mexico, where he lives now. And he recently co-wrote a new nonfiction book called Hacking the Aging Process. Just super interesting. And it's available on marksotkin.com. Mark, welcome. Hi. How are you doing? Hi, I'm doing great. I'm really excited to have a chance to, to talk to you today. Thanks, thanks for making yourself available for us. My pleasure. I'd love to hear how you got started writing comedy. Uh, well, uh, I was 
uh, an underwear salesman in Houston, Texas. I was a BBD underwear salesman. Um, this is not a joke. You really were. I really was for two, <laughs> years, two years driving around, 40,000 miles a, a year driving around Texas. And I finally said to my wife, I can always get a job I hate as much as this. Let's go to L.A. and see what happens. Um, went to L.A., figured out that comics don't pay much money to write jokes. Uh, and I've always been a big um, sitcom fan. Uh, as, as a little kid, I used to put uh, talcum powder on my face and tell my mom I didn't feel well, which she probably found hilarious. And, uh, <laughs> but occasionally she would let me stay home from school when I said that. And we lived in New Jersey, near New York. So we got all the New York stations and I would spend all day watching reruns of just the most classic uh, sitcoms. So, um, you know, like December Bride and Love That Bob and People's Choice, stuff that I'm sure most of the, your listeners have never heard of, but they were brilliant, brilliant sitcoms. And I guess I was going to school. Um, so when I got to L.A., um, friends suggested I write a spec script and I started writing spec scripts. And another friend took me to opening night at an improv show called Off the Wall. And uh, that was like a revelation to me. These were people were standing on stage talking in jokes. Uh, it was a great cast. And I joined um, the class they had, which is where I met Gary. And uh, um, six weeks after the show started, one of the cast members quit to become a priest because it's a better paying form of show business. And they asked me to join the show. And I did that for... Um, about another year and a half, and then uh, a guy named Harvey Miller, who had produced um, The Odd Couple, had worked yeah, with Gary Marshall on The Odd Couple, he wrote Private Benjamin. He came to the show and asked three of us, <clears throat> me and Chris Thompson, uh, who went on to create Bosom Buddies and Brilliantly Funny, um, and Judy Askins, uh, who was Judy Irvin back then, uh, and directed many, many sitcoms. Anyway, he asked the three of us to come be his writing staff on a new sitcom called Sirotis Court that was going on NBC. So that was my first um, sitcom job. That's really where I started writing. Where did you really start learning all, all of what you knew from writing and joke structure and comedy and, and hitting those marks? Again, I, I think I absorbed it <laughs> as a child. Um, you know, when I started writing spec scripts, um, you know, people, if you can write a joke, you can write a joke, either you're funny or, or you're not funny. And so people were encouraging, you know, I wrote a Rhoda and I wrote a Barney Miller and people were saying, you can write, you can't write this yet, but you should keep writing. Um, and I, I also think that the improv helped a lot, oh, I bet. um, in terms of, actually in terms of story. I mean, you're telling a story in a very short period of time. But with working with other people, you really have to figure out, okay, now we're at the beginning. How do we get to the end? Um, and a lot of the times when I'm writing, you know, I, I know where I know where I want to get to. And so it's just solving the, the puzzle of, okay, so what are the steps to get there? It sounds like a lot of your shows were filmed in front of a live studio audience. Yeah. Did you learn a lot from writing and the audience responding and everything? Oh, sure. And, and, it, it's so much more fun than doing one camera 
for the writers and for, it, it's really the most boring thing in the world. Mm. <laughs> um, <laughs> and you're on multicam. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, um, you know, there's the excitement of, let's say you're on a Monday to Friday schedule that every week you're doing a show, a new show, a new play, and you're going to find out on Friday what kind of week you had. Um, and often on shows, for instance, on the Golden Girls, we shot on Fridays. We would shoot a 4 o'clock show and a 7 o'clock show. And stuff that you may have thought was funny all week, the 4 o'clock audience will tell you, not so funny. Not so funny. Uh, and so we'll write new stuff between the 4 o'clock and the 7 o'clock sh show. Uh, would you have already had some alt jokes in place like to try out, or would you just go back to the drawing board after the 4 no, o'clock? No, you just, you know, we'd, we'd have... We do the we do the four o'clock. We'd go to dinner with the cast. I would tell them, uh, "There's don't worry about there's new besides uh, you know other acting notes about whatever happened, and there might be laughs that we didn't expect. And we now the actors have to know about hold for that laugh. Um, but if something just isn't good enough, especially on a show like The Golden Girls, writers would go off and write new jokes, and then we'd send it down to the stage and. And those ladies were amazing, and they would they would do them, you know. And if they, if it was too big a thing, we might do it and pick up after an audience left. Um, but yeah, I mean, the the whole process of Monday to Friday is is just rewriting and stuff. Yeah, and sometimes writers would just get tired of hearing, you know, you'd, you'd like a joke on Monday and be tired of it by Thursday, so write a new joke. That was one of that was probably the biggest lesson I think that I learned on that for, with from Harvey Miller was don't fall in love with a joke. You can write another one. So that's fantastic. Yeah. I mean, let's, let's talk more about the golden girls because it's sure. Estelle Getty and Rue McClanahan and B Arthur and Betty White. And you've got some of the greatest, funniest actresses like in history that you get to write for. How'd you get on that show? So I had done uh, four years of a show called it's a living Mm -hmm. I remember first, it. Yeah, and it was in first-run syndication, um, which was great. It was one of the first shows that was done in first-run syndication. And it was kind of like my dad's got a barn, let's do a show. There were no network notes, no studio notes. Um, pretty much could do whatever he wanted. And that was done at with Thomas. Uh, <clears throat> so um, I worked with Paul and Tony for those four years. I had much earlier done a show called I'm a Big Girl Now that was a with Tom, that Susan Harris had, had uh, created. So I'd wor worked with them before. Okay. And uh, at the end of It's a Living, I had left. Um, and actually, part of Gary's first deal with Fox was to develop new shows. And they he and Brad Gray put me together with Bill Maher to develop okay. a show with Bill who was obviously a very funny guy, but we had spent like three days in a room together and there just was no chemistry. This wasn't happening. It happens. And it, it happens. And I've seen that on shows that I've been on a showrunner where you get a, a writer who's obviously done great work and they just don't hear the characters. Anyway, there was no magic happening in that room. So I called Paul Witt and I knew they were, it, Golden Girls had been on for four years. I knew that the people who had been running the show were leaving and I just asked them if they were still looking for someone. And he said yes. And then they had me meet the Golden Girls. And boom, I was the executive producer of the Golden Girls. Amazing. Wait, was it the brainchild of Susan Harris? 
Yeah. 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 She yeah. wrote the pilot. Yeah. I, it's just so amazing. She's such a legend. And I'm, I'm also a fan of her son's podcast of Sam's work. Yeah. Well, it's, he, yeah, it's pretty amazing. A genius um, births genius apparently. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, unfortunately I didn't get to work with Susan that much. So mm-hmm. on soap, she, she and Stu Silver wrote just about all of it. Uh, on the shows that I worked with her, uh, she wrote the pilot. We would work together a little bit early on, um, and then and then we wouldn't see her. <laughs> so uh, I would have loved, it would be great to have worked with her more. Um, but working with Paul and T- Paul and Tony, Paul Witt and Tony Thomas, um, just the best executive producers I ever worked with. They made my work better. Which oh, that's the greatest! Is, is all you can ask for. Their their notes were always great. They're funny. Um, yeah. And I, and I loved them both. They were just, it was great. Tell us about the process of writing and producing an episode and what that really looked like behind the scenes. A lot of my audience, by the way, are, are above the line creatives, they're writers, they're directors, they're producers, and a lot of them are aspiring too. So I think it would be meaningful to hear. So it's, a long, it's a big process. So, um, I wasn't creating those shows. I, I was coming in after other show, either after showrunners or other, um, or the creator had left to create something else. So basically, you're given the keys to the car, and you know, and don't fuck it up. Is <laughs> Especially if you're going on something like the Golden Girls, that's already a big hit. Um, there's that pressure. I tended to have um, the writing staffs come together a little earlier than, than most shows. So um, let's say you're going to start shooting in July, which was typical then. And I would have people come in in May, probably the middle of May, because I'd want as much paper as possible uh, before we started shooting. So at that point, um, you know, unfortunately, I don't know whether it's unfortunate or not. Things have changed. When I first started, there was a lot of freelance work. And over the years, it's changed where writing staffs tend to, to write most of the shows. Uh, so during that period, especially those first couple of weeks in May and early June, I'm having writers come in and just pitch stories. And we're figuring out, okay, I like that one. I don't like that one. Whatever, And, and you're picking out. And um, How many and writers in that room? Um, not everybody. So, especially on Golden Girls, well, on on Laverne and Shirley, there was definitely a core of me and Chris and Judy and Paula Roth. Um, on Golden Girls, um, Tracy Gamble, Gail Perrin, Jim Valley, uh, Tom Whedon, maybe one or two others at times, depends. But those were really the core that I had the most trust in. And so they would, we would be in the room, and then if one of the other writers on staff was pitching or an outside writer was coming in, they would pitch. Um, if I liked the idea, we would then pitch out the show, and we would help them develop the show uh, for a couple of reasons. One, they might not know uh, a season arc that we were working on that we needed to work into things, um, or just helping just break the story. Um, and so once that writer 
where at that point, writer goes off and writes a draft, brings it in, we read it, I get notes from other staff members and I give my, and I have my notes, bring the writer in and give the notes and they write a second draft. Um, at that point, particularly if it's an outside writer, we go, this is great, this is fabulous, thanks so much, you're gonna love it, but they may or may not love it because it could change a lot you know, over, over the next rewrite process. So then taking that second draft, um, I would then probably give out different scenes to different writers who may have a better ear for a different character or just the feel of a scene. Oh, interesting. And so over the next, until we get ready to shoot in July, those scripts are, are going through a process of getting it ready uh, for the table read. So, and at some point before that table read, I'll be in the room with that core of people who I trust and we'll just line, go line by line. Um, and is there any way we can say this line funnier, period? And that's what it's about. Um, so it's, it's, even if it's just like, what time is it? Any way to do that funnier? Well, let's see if there's a funnier way to do it. And if you watch Golden Girls, you know, it's pretty joke funny, you know? Oh, it is. Yeah. Um, and the actresses' facial expressions and their delivery, and I mean, just top notch. So, and there were so many times, like when we were shooting, where we wouldn't be happy with something, and we'd say, don't even bother learning this joke, because we're going we're gonna to rewrite it. And they would say, give us another day. And they would find stuff, and they would find ways to... So... You know, it's it's a very collaborative medium. So, depending, oh, so cool. having a great cast makes makes you look a lot better. <laughs> uh, so after the, so at some point, those people and I are in the room, and we get the the script ready for the table read, the Monday table read. We all meet Monday morning, and the cast uh, sees the script for the first time. So it's a cold reading. Um, if there are any major outside characters, they'll be at the table as well. And they'll read the script. And right there, and then you'll hear stuff that is working, isn't working. More so even than the jokes, you're looking for story problems. Because every some, you know, if it's a good week, there'll be just some few story problems, but you can have a really terrible week where you're in trouble and you know you're in trouble. So after the Monday read, I will talk to the director and say, okay, here's scenes that you can start working on. Don't even bother looking at these scenes because we're going to go to work. And, um, and then we go off with the writing staff. And if there's big stuff, I'll hand that out to other writers immediately. Um, and the rest of us will maybe working on the stuff that's little stuff that we know we can fix right away. But I also have to remember I need another script next Monday to be ready for a table read. And I may be having writers come in to pitch and be working on stories. So as a showrunner, you have, there's a lot of balls to, to juggle, right? Um, including possibly, and it probably isn't on Monday yet, but seeing a cut of another show that we've already shot, because I'm going to be going that over that with the editor and giving my notes on that. So Monday is pretty much whether it's a good week or bad week, if it's if it's big story problems, Monday may be a, a sizable rewrite, uh, or it may be just be fixing little things that you know 
um, that you maybe you've noticed. Maybe there's a scene where, like if it's Golden Girls, maybe Dorothy's in a scene for a page and a half and she hasn't said anything. We haven't caught that. Okay, well, we got to fix that. Right. So, uh, so that's pretty much the Monday thing. Uh, Tuesday is more during the day, uh, starting to really get to work on that next week's script. Uh, also giving notes on maybe the script that's two weeks out. So different, right? Uh, so on Golden Girls, there are probably 12 writers and maybe that's eight writing entities. So different people are working on different scripts and I have to be aware of what's going on with what. Um, 22 episodes, right? In a season? Well, unless you're on a hit show like Golden Girls, then you could maybe do in 24, 26. Wow. So, yeah, it, it, it's, you know, in nine months, you're doing the equivalent of four and a half feature films, okay, in terms of conceiving, writing, shooting, editing, you know, all of that. So Massive, massive creative. It's a lot, it's a, it's a lot, of, it's a lot, a lot of work. And uh, that's why you get three months at the end to get new brain cells and heal. And, <laughs> so, um, you know, I was made, you know, when you look at early television, they were doing like 39 episodes a season, which to me just seems outrageous. So anyway, at, at, towards the end of the day on Tuesday is the first run through. So now we're going to go down to the stage and we're going to see the play performed and it's only Tuesday. So the actors are on book, but, we can see a, a couple things, more story problems. Um, also start seeing this joke isn't as good as we had hoped it was. We're going to rewrite this. We're going to rewrite that. Um, and also start noticing blocking. I was just going to uh, ask that question. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So um, as, as you probably know, so, you know, film is definitely a director's medium sitcom is definitely a writer producers medium. So I can tell a director, you know, I, I want you, let's not, I might be editing the show already in my, in my head. So I might say, you know, during the, I, I need B to come into that door clean because those two, and this can happen later in the week too. I already know I'm going to cut two minutes out of that scene that's not working great, and we don't really need to rewrite it because the show's already long. But I may not want to tell those actresses that that stuff that they've been working on, I'm going to cut. <laughs> so I may just tell the director, okay, I need, a, I need a clean shot of B coming through the door. So that, that process sort of starts on Tuesday, but Tuesday is still more about uh, writing. It's not giving acting notes at that point because they're, st they're still on book. They're still working on it. Wednesday, again, working on the upcoming script and the upcoming, upcoming script uh, and possibly, possibly hearing pitches, uh, depending where we are in the, in the season, um, and definitely seeing cuts of other shows, uh, of shows that we've already shot. Um, and, you know, sometimes when you're looking at those cuts, it's just about editing, and sometimes it's like, you know what? I want to reshoot that. That really doesn't work. Or you would I'm, go into reshoots even. Yeah, not a lot. And again, again lot. depending on the show, that that tends to happen more if you're um, early in a, in a series where they're still trying to figure out who characters are and what, what they're about. And, um, and sometimes stuff 
doesn't work or you get a new idea and you might want to shoot a little bit more. Um, so, but you're deciding that when you're looking at the, uh, uh, in editing. Um, Wednesday, at the end of the day, there's another re uh, another run through with the, uh, where the actors, <clears throat> now there's, they're, they're pretty much off, depending on, again, depending on the cast, uh, they're pretty much off book. Um, so now you can start doing acting notes, have an idea of how something might be funnier or um, a different acting choice. And um, as the showrunner, I'm able to do that. Okay. I, I, um, I don't have to whisper in the director's ear. Uh, everybody knows it's collaborative. Maybe I'm right. Maybe I'm wrong. I have to be willing to do that. Um, so, so that's Wednesday and Wednesday um, on a decent week is probably, well, Tuesday night is probably the biggest rewrite. By Wednesday, hopefully you're getting in shape and, you, and you're still maybe fixing jokes and little things and maybe they did something that worked great during the run through and now you're going to add to that and, and build up on that. Thursday is uh, camera blocking day. So they're busy. Now the cameras are here. Okay, so the director and the cast, they're down there working on um, really figuring out the, the mechanics of shooting the show. Um, we're working on next. We're now getting pretty close to hopefully being pretty finished with next week's script and that script that's going to become the on deck script. Um, and at the end of the day, that day, if, if it's now Laverne and Troy was a film show, so you, you can't see what it's something at the end of the camera blocking day. Um, you can see where the cameras are and you can figure out again, if you're going to need that clean shot somewhere, you, you're going to, you're going to talk to the director, but you really can't see it. Talking uh, about that clean shot for the editing, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, you know, that you, you may, I may already know that, uh, I'm going to want singles instead of a two shot because we're, again, I'm editing in my head. Um, or just, I think a, a joke will work. Maybe I, maybe they didn't shoot the joke as funny as I thought. I think it could be, um, that can happen. <laughs> so, um, but on a show that's, that, that's um, a tape show, uh, we're actually in the booth and watching the, the, the cut, the, the feed, as, as they're doing their camera blocking run through. I will then go and sit with the director and look at that show and we'll go through it and, and figure out, making sure everybody's happy with everything. Um, there might be a few acting notes at the end of that, but they've been on their feet all day working on blocking. They want to go home. Right. So, so you let them go home. Um, again, there might be some jokes that don't work as well on camera as you hoped they had worked. Oh, interesting. So, so it might work in a table read, but then you get it on camera and then the joke maybe is. Even on its feet, it might work. And when you see it, it's like, man. Again, on a show like Golden Girls, can it be funnier? Can it be funnier? Can it be funnier? Can it be funnier? <laughs> <You know? laughs> it's, it's just the process. So I love that. 
So, and then, you, you know, you see stuff on, uh, you know, uh, on tape and it's like, yeah, that's okay. So, um, you know, Paul, Paul Witt used to say, it's either got to be funny or compelling, one or the other. Mm. So if it's not funny and it's not compelling, we're definitely looking for a cut or we got to rewrite it because it's, this is neither. So that's pretty much Thursday. Um, and and Goldenbills had a lot of range between compelling and funny and tackling some of the great issues that we're still up against even today. It was, it was deep. It was a deep show it, and, and also hysterical. Well, that's compelling. Yeah. <laughs> that's compelling and it's funny. So, yeah, if we're going to bother doing the gay marriage show or the AIDS show or any of those shows, yes. we're still a comedy show. Um, you know, Laverne and Shirley was just, we used to pride ourselves. We never did a very special Laverne and Shirley. <sighs> you know, <I> didn't, <laughs> we did one, Mrs. Babish had a, had a daughter who had a learning disability. That was, that was it. Um, it was just funny, funny. We, we got to be really funny. Pure entertainment. Oh, and those yeah. actresses were hysterical. They, and they were brilliant, brilliant physical comedians. So, uh, and the process, and we can go back, the process on that show was, was very different than oh, I'm describing in some ways. So anyway, Friday on a typical show, um, I'm in the room with the, with the trusted people, and we're going on next week's script line by line um, and getting it ready because it's going to be the table read. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> I might have a few notes on the on-deck script for some of the writers who are getting that closer. Uh, but I'm, I and, and those group of people were really focused on getting the script ready um, for the table read. Four o'clock, we do the we go to the booth and we see the the four o'clock show shot, knowing that we're not going to use most of that, um, but we might use some. Um, and for editing purposes, like I. I Show like Golden Girls, we did very little sweetening on Golden Girls. Um, it was mostly if you use something from the first show and then cut to the second show, the laughs might be different. And so it, and so it's more, it's as much as, the, and the four o'clock audience is different than the, than the, than the, the late audience. Uh, the four o'clock audience tends to be more people who are coming to see how a TV show is made. And if you're on a hit show like Golden Girls, they're, they, the, late, the late show is, they're fans of the show. It's very different. So reactions to jokes are going to be different. Anyway, we shoot the four o'clock show. We then all go to dinner with the cast. And during that four o'clock show, I'm, I'm making notes, more performance notes than anything else. Uh, giving notes to the actors about possible other deliveries or uh, we need you to move you know, possibly staging, we need you to move over here or I need you to cross after that line, not on that line, that kind of more technical stuff. Technical stuff. Although, again, that four o'clock audience may tell us stuff isn't as funny as we hoped. So rather than eating dinner, some of those writers are off gonna, and they're going to bring me a couple pages of new choices that we're going to now put in the script. 
and then send it down. Um, and again, depending on the actor, um, Estelle used to be completely frightened of that process, but she was great and always did it. Um, we didn't realize it then. It, you know, she died of, she had dementia. She had, she had uh, uh, dementia and it may have been early stages of that. Wow. Um, she always asked if she could have cue cards and the other actresses didn't, would never let her have cue cards for a very good reason. When you're reading a cue card, you're not acting. Yeah. You're reading a cue card. And they were much more concerned with the acting and those brilliant reaction shots that you see on, on Golden Girls. That doesn't happen if you're reading a cue card. Right. It happens when you're acting. So, um, so we would send out, if there were new jokes, we'd get them down and get ready for the eight o'clock show. And then we'd shoot the eight o'clock show and um, then send the audience home if there were any pickups. And we never had a lot of pickups on Golden Girls. What were those shows, by the way? How long would the show actually be as you were running it? Well, um, you don't want to, you know, so the actual show is what, 23 minutes and change. So you don't want to be too long um, because then, and, and that, you know, one of the things going back to Monday, um, one of the ADs or somebody would, would actually time the reading with the laugh spread to give you a sense of how much you got to cut, you know, are you short? Are you long? So that hopefully by Friday, you're not so long and the laugh spread is too long that you're going to hurt the show, the, the episode by having to take out too much. I heard on golden girls, the laugh spread was often so big that you had to really cut pages for that. So, um, Good boy. One of the great things was on Golden Girls, when I first went there, you know, everybody was pretty nervous. They've given the keys to the car to the new guy. Um, and the first two episodes of that season, Susan Harris wrote, it was a two-parter called Sick and Tired. Um, and it, it, it was about Epstein Barr and um, they were serious episodes. And they weren't the funniest episodes in the world. They just, they just weren't. And Susan was usually not that open to that communal rewriting process. So it was, it was very, very serious. And so then came our first script uh, uh, of the new writing staff. And that episode was where they went to a sperm bank. Um, I remember that episode. <laughs> It got the the biggest laughs table laugh spread in the history of Golden Girls. So the laugh spread was like over five minutes or something like that. It was it was like crazy. So we had to actually we we had to cut a lot of, of that show, but it was like okay, <laughs> we may be okay. What was interesting was the Golden Girls were happy. The the cast was happy with that, but I don't think they really trusted us that much until like a couple weeks later. We had a, a, a Monday table read that didn't go great, but we had a really, really good show by Friday. So they saw we were capable of that process. And it was like, then it was like, okay, these people are going to be all right. <laughs> they, they, they're going to be able to do this. That's so interesting. It's like the, 
the trust comes from how do you handle when it's not going well or when there's a fumble and the recovery and, and really crushing it. That reminds me of athletics and like star athletes a lot too, you know? Yeah, it's yeah, it's it's, it's not really what happens that Monday. Monday doesn't matter. Friday's what matters. Friday's what matters. So are you putting in the work and you get it done so that Friday was great. The other thing is there was an adjustment. I mean, stylistically, if you watch the first four years of Golden Girls and then the last three and, and Golden Palace, stylistically, there is a difference. Um, there And obviously, shows were good on both sides of that, that line. But there were, just taste-wise, there were things that um, the Spears and, and uh the other writers who were on that show, um, th there were jokes that they liked doing that you'll see early on. They did a lot of jokes about B physical, physical, her physical, you know, she, she wasn't the prettiest woman in the world and they would make jokes about that. And when I got there, I said, we're just not going to do those jokes anymore because she's got to say them. <laughs> okay. Um, and that was just taste uh, and B did those jokes and they were funny and he got big. So just, there were certain kinds of jokes. Um, you know, on a Gary Marshall show, you weren't like, you were not allowed to write. Oh no. Oh no. Yeah. People don't say, Oh no. Yeah. It was a Gary Marshall thing. Okay. Um, I never like jokes that are whatever. I, I I'm going to cut whatever. Yeah. Um, and I knit for because it's not smart. Well, besides, it's just a, yeah. I, I and I've seen it too many times. And for whatever reason, then this is just my craziness. I don't like to do jokes that reference other TV shows because my feeling is you're doing a TV show. How do you even know that those other TV shows exist? Yeah, and that's just my craziness. Okay, um, the so, emphasis yeah. on so, that originality. <laughs> I mean, it stands out as being so original. Both all the shows. Uh. Yeah. So, so that was, but I'm saying that's another adjustment for the cast oh, in terms of, are they going to accept the new writing staff and styles? So all those things are factors that, that, that come into play. So you shoot that show Friday night, go home, remind your wife who you are, spend the weekend, <laughs> go do it again. Um, so when are you editing in the midst of all that? Cause I know you're part of that process too. Well, during the day, Tuesday, during Wednesday, the there's something. Someone's going to come and say, "Oh, you got We've got a cut of the show." And I'll say to the other writers, "I'm going to go look at a cut of the show." Or some of them may come with me. I don't, you know, whatever. Um, Thank God it's only 23 minutes. Mm -hmm. How many pages of a script is that if you're doing 23 minutes? Depends. <clears throat> Laverne and Shirley, very physical show. Maybe maybe 35 pages. Okay. The 38 pages. Golden Girls, God bless them. They pay 45 pages, maybe 47 pages. Um, the process, totally different. When, so I got to go, I got to live in Shirley. Um, Cindy Williams has just had the entire writing staff fired because they weren't writing her character. Okay. Uh, it's pretty common knowledge early on in Laverne and Shirley. It was a hit right away. Um, 
They didn't particularly get along. Uh, Cindy, you know, Gary Marshall created, was the creator of the show. Penny Marshall was the co-star of the show. Tony Marshall, their father, was the business guy on the show. Uh, Ronnie Hallen was a producer on the show, uh, and that's Penny's sister. Uh, Cindy felt a little overwhelmed by all the Marshalls. Um, and when, when we, so she had fired all these people, uh, except for Paula Roth, uh, who got to stay. Um, and, and Paul had grown up with Penny and Gary. And so had, she had the voice down and, and is also just a really, really, really good writer. Um, and so when that happened, Harvey Miller, the guy who had dis discovered me and Chris and Judy, since he knew Gary from working on The Odd Couple, uh, said, you got to hire these three people. So that's how we got to Laverne and Shirley. Um, you, we would go to the table on Monday with two scripts because you never know knew when they would go, we don't want to do this. You know. Actually, they would go, we don't want to do this shit. Oh, that's what the actresses would say? Uh-huh. Oh, boy. Yeah, but this is the shit we have for this week. So, so we, <laughs> we, we would bring two piles of shit. We would bring two piles of shit. And, you know, the, the even the, the – the, that show was actually uh, – we'd start on Wednesday and shoot on Tuesday night. So everything is slid. The big rewrite is Friday night. And, like – uh, Michael McKeon and David Lander, Lenny and Squiggy, certainly brilliantly funny, but they would try to be ad-libbing and coming up and, and improving while you're doing the Monday reading, the, the first reading. So now jokes, you don't know what's going to happen. But to give you an idea of the difference, on Laverne and Shirley, uh, I would get a call from the stage that they would say, the ladies would like to see you on stage. And I would call my wife and say, I'm not coming home tonight because we would go down to the stage and we'd see something that might have absolutely nothing to do with what was written, but it'd be really, really funny. Aww. So because of their physicality, it took them up a road or whatever. And all of a sudden people were dressed like uh, Alice in Wonderland or something that nah, we didn't know this was going to happen. Um, and so you have to make that work. So it would be an all-nighter. That's amazing. And it's so alive. I actually talked to Joel Zwick about that very process where you can learn from the actors with what they're doing and it can inform the writing process, which is yeah. so brilliant. Um, my only regret from Laverne and Shirley is that we all didn't acknowledge and recognize that that was our process. Mm. So instead of going, God damn it, they're not doing our work, you or what is this crap that they're writing? What is it? It was just the process. Right. We had to take them up roads. Then they went different ways. And then we had to take what they, it, and it was so, and as a result, since we didn't all acknowledge that it was really difficult. Anyway, they would say the ladies would like to see you on stage. I tell my wife, I'm not coming home. There'd be this ridiculous rewrite. I first get to golden girls and like two weeks in, I get a call from the stage and it's a, and they say the ladies would like to see you on stage, and I'm like Pavlov's dog. It's like, oh my god, boy. Uh, and I go down there, and Betty wanted to change, literally change the word this to that. She didn't want to say this thing, 
she wanted to say it's that thing. And I was like, okay, Betty, just this once, but let's not have this happen a lot. <laughs> and she, she got it. She did. <laughs> she knew. Um, they just had such respect for the writing and the words. It was just a completely different deal. Wow, that's amazing. And yeah. and they, they really relied and based themselves off of the script, it sounds like. Uh, and, I, and I think that was um, – just, I, I think that was just a function of with Thomas Harris that all their shows, um, the writing was just really important, and and we're gonna and we're gonna go into this. It really and, shows in the longevity of the shows too. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I'm I'm truly not only just thankful but amazed at a whole generation of new fans that we have. Uh, of people who never saw the Golden Girls when it was the Golden Girls. Also, the number of people say, oh, I used to watch this with my grandmother, and now I'm watching it with my kids. It, it, that's for that story of my family, too. I mean, my grandpa lived to be 97, and we would sit down and watch the Golden Girls together at the end of his life. And now my son is turning 10, and we'll sit down and watch it when it's replaying on Hallmark. And yep. he laughs. It's so great to see. You know, you don't know, will the, will the comedy translate to the next generation? And, and he thinks it's hysterical. We did good work. Isn't that great? You we should feel good, so proud. I love that. Work. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and those actresses just, you know, legend is so amazing the way, and the characters are so archetypal in the way that they play off of one another. So, re, so reliable in the, those scenes. They could all hit home runs. Oh, oh totally. And never worried about, oh, she's not going to be able to do this joke. It, it, it never came up. Um, and I said, there were times where, they just said, we're going to make this work, and they did. Did you have any time to actually enjoy it while it was happening? You just were under the gun so much. Oh, sure, because yeah, yeah. they make you laugh. Yeah. They'd make you laugh. I mean, there's, there's such a difference of working on a hit show and a really shitty show, and I've, I've worked on both. Mm. Um, you know, um, then you're going into the coal mine because you mm. can edit. There have been shows I've worked on that were some of the same writers who were working on the hit show were working on the, the lousy show, and it just the magic isn't there, and it's like, all right, let's get through it, you know. And you know early on that there's not going to be season two, so let's not worry too much about that. Oh boy! Yeah, that's no fun. Mm. That's no fun at all. When you're working on a hit show, also it's again that it's it's show night, it's Friday night show night. Um, and you shoot the show and then you may go out to, you know, for drinks with everybody afterwards. Was that getting filmed in Burbank? Uh, no, that was actually, uh, shot at, uh, Sunset Gower. Oh, okay. Sunset Gower. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, that's where, that's where we did that. Back in the day when LA had no traffic. I wouldn't and you say could that. get anywhere in 20 minutes. I wouldn't say that, but I, 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 <laughs> I was back there in September and it's, it's different. <laughs> right. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Um, so I have everything that you've done and, and also, you know, your current work and writing novels and everything that you've done. As you look back, what do you feel the most proud of? <sighs> Still married to the same woman. <laughs> <laughs> She's that, stuck with you, huh? She must have missed you a lot. Probably that, but no. <laughs> 
But it's one of the reasons I left town too. So, cause I wasn't sure, you know, that show business was going to be the best for that. Um, you know, probably the golden girls. I mean, how could, how could you not be, you know, <laughs> proud of that? Um, yeah, probably the golden girls. Let's talk a little bit about like the evolution of comedy because of the multicam sitcoms that you were working on all the way through to today where shows like Hacks and Ted Lasso are winning the Emmy. How do you feel? Yeah. It's just the, 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 dare I say art form <laughs> <laughs> has changed. Um, I don't know that anybody's, or I'm not, it, it could be that it, I'm not watching them. Shows aren't demanding the laughs that we demanded. Yes. Um, Ted Lasso is a great show. Better Things is a great show. They're not laugh riots. Um, it's just stylistically, it's very different. Um, and um, they're very true to the vision of of whoever's creating them. Um, and more and more, um, the creator is, is also the star of the show. And, um, so it's their vision and either that works or it doesn't work. So yeah, I, I think the stuff that they're doing is great. It's different. It's a different sensibility. It's, it's yeah, completely, completely. I feel like I watch shows today and just don't laugh as much and will go back to like watching I Love Lucy or something where I know yeah, I just want a good laugh, you know, and there's more reliable places to go. But I feel like I have to look in the past, you know, not as much as as modern sensibility of, of comedy or, or as many jokes per minute as we say in stand up or things like that. Um, and I don't know if it's somewhat culturally comedically hands are tied okay um when uh when gary shandling and i when we did the, um because I, I somebody would just recently showed me this scene uh when we did the 25th anniversary special yes for it's uh, gary shandling show uh, this wasn't this was before it's gary shandling show Oh. So our two, our two, the the two Showtime specials we did were Gary Shandling Alone in Vegas, oh, okay. and, and the Gary Shandling Twenty Fifth Anniversary Show, and that was as if Gary had a talk show for twenty five years. What year was that? Eighty four, eighty two, three, eighty, eighty, early eighty something. Okay, sure. and it was as if Gary had a talk show for twenty five years. So we did the clip show. So. Um, we did things like we had Senor Wences on, who used to be this ventriloquist who was always on Ed Sullivan. I loved growing up, and we said, well, let's have, let's, let's have Senor Wences. So it was Gary and uh, Paul Wilson, who was from Off the Wall, uh, the improv group that I was in, played like his Ed McMahon, and we did all these clips. So um, we did one clip was which was a takeoff on the old show kung fu yeah of course yeah we're, we're and gary is playing the Carradine character awesome <laughs> but 
you know, he's doing a terrible Chinese accent, <laughs> you know, and we're doing, we're doing jokes that you just, you wouldn't do, you're not going to do them today. Could never do that today. Never do that today. So. I could also never, you know, get, it, it I have, I feel really conflicted about it because up until, you know, a few years ago, one of my favorite movies was The Party. And we got Peter Sellers running around in blackface. And it's, it's, it's a horrific, uh, it, it's a horrific incident. And yet it's this hysterical movie. Uh, so comedy and taste is really evolving and we're seeing so, it everywhere. It changes so much. I, I, it's so humorous. The last time some of my kids were here, I said, oh, you've got to watch this movie. And, and it was so misogynistic and just so wrong. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. So. And, in, yeah. and I think in that way, it's good that comedy is evolving. I've been talking to some of my other friends in the industry, like uh, Mike Medavoy, for instance, and just discussing like what what is what does the market want right now? And comedy isn't selling as much, which is a little bit heartbreaking. We're leaning on you know thrillers and horror and things like that right now. And I you know we keep asking ourselves why? Why do you think that's what's happening? And when are you coming out of retirement to write some more? <laughs> uh... Well, I, I'm, I'm, I am writing. <laughs> um, it's just your hands are tied. And, and actually, one of these things, the, the, the thing that I'm writing right now, uh, I, I do a part about this where I'm afraid to get canceled, okay? Because um, I, I, I've met this Asian guy, and he's introduced to me as Ling Ling. And, you know, that that's what the Costco dumplings are called is it you know do they have uh nicknames don't they have nicknames am i gonna you know am i never gonna be seen again for calling him Lingley? you know i don't i and i don't know what to do and i'm sure if i was in a writer's room now you know it, it's too bad you know we couldn't have filmed the, the writer's room on golden girls because it was much worse <laughs> than what you saw in terms of the sex jokes and everything else. Because uh, you have to go far, as far out as you want to go. You know, my job was if somebody said something that was truly hilarious but truly disgusting, how do I make that so I can say it on NBC? Right. That, that's <laughs> a big part. That's a big part. Of my, that's a big part of my job. Okay. <laughs> um, so I don't know what you would do today. I, I, I really don't in, and, and, but it's reflected in the shows. Right. It's all, it's very safe. Whew. So safe. <laughs> so safe. Although maybe and, not Dave Chappelle as much, but the, the others. Uh, yeah. I mean, my big problem with the Chappelle special was there were sections of it that I would have told him where he's got to write a better joke. <laughs> so for that, you know, there were times that it, yes, it was controversial, but, and that's just, that's just me. But yeah, there are times that you, you know, it's confused. It's the whole thing is confusing. You know, I'm watching per, I just actually this morning I was watching some perfume ad that this young woman is coming out being as provocative as she can be. But on TV or in life, I'm not going to, I can't go, whoa, 
I'd like to tap that. <laughs> That's wrong. Right. Because uh, we're in the office, so <laughs> you're not going to say that. Yeah, it, it's, I'm sure everybody's confused. So comedically, yeah. Uh, in some ways, I'm better off not being in the room today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. hey, what, what's some of the funny stuff that you've been watching lately that you love? Um, I love The Great on Hulu. I don't know if you've seen The Great. No, I haven't. Oh, The Great. Catherine The Great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Catherine, Catherine the, great, the Great. Great acting. It's um, Elle Fanning, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, I'm terrible with names. I, or I'm just not reading credits. Uh, the guy who plays Peter, her, it, it definitely, he should be getting an Emmy nomination. Um, it's just really, 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 really good. Um, there's nothing I'm watching that makes that, that that I'm going. Oh, let's go watch this because it's really, really funny. It's really funny. Which is sad. I mean, love Ted Lasso. Love uh, Better Things. There. I mean, there's stuff that I. And what's amazing to me too is, since we're watching things the way we're we're binge watching. Yes. And then it's, you know, I don't remember the last time Better Things was on a new episode. You know, um, I was really sad because we just, we, you know, we recently finished What We Do in the Shadows. Which Yes, I love that show. I love that show. <laughs> I love that show. It's so <laughs> brilliant. Yeah. And, but it's gone and it's going to be gone yeah. for a long time. And I know so it. I discovered episodes in the pandemic because I hadn't had it, you know, when it was out on Showtime and it dropped on Netflix. Yeah. Um, which is hysterical. They have one of the funniest finales in season one I just have ever seen. It, it's just really good. On the flip side of that, though, so I, I look at Ted Lasso. It's great. And we just watched, what's season three? Yeah. Yeah. And they've taken three years and they've done 24 episodes. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so what <laughs> really <laughs> that's september october <laughs> you know <laughs> so uh hats off to the people who are still doing network tv and still doing 22 episodes yeah no doubt um, uh, gary used to say tv will kill you we just we would always talk about the intensity and the pressure and you know by the time i knew him he was starting to get sick and was trying to recuperate from everything he'd been through, including with Brad Gray, of course, but just right. the sheer amount of output. It, it was so intense. He wanted to do fewer episodes. And at the time we were together in 2006, 2007, he was trying to get, um, he wanted to do eight episodes on HBO of a show where he would play God, but God's an alcoholic. Mm -hmm. and, they, and his agent wouldn't do it because it was only eight episodes. Uh, I, these people are doing great work and I don't know how they're making a living. Um, especially if you're just a staff writer on one of these shows and you're doing eight episodes and they're going to want to put a hold on you in case it gets picked up. Um, yeah, it was a lot. Yeah, of that's work. not a mortgage in LA. No. <laughs> it's not. No, it's nowhere near the, <laughs> How do you get your down payment? No, I was like I said, we were just in LA because no doubt, a son, son just had a, you know, his wife had a baby, 
and you look around at the housing thing and it goes, oh my, I don't know how you do that. Anyway, uh, yeah, it was nice when you did 22 <laughs> um, and got paid a lot, you know, pretty well to do it. So. Yeah, it was different back then. You know, the deals now with streaming, there's no back end. Yeah, all that it, for all those reasons. And the other thing, you know, un unfortunately for Gary, because he was so involved in every aspect of the show. Right. Um, you know, I didn't have to, when I was doing Golden Girls or whatever, I had to get a script ready, but I didn't have to memorize it. Right. Okay. And the ladies had to memorize it, but they didn't have to fix the they jokes. To, right. They have to write it. Um, yeah. I'm sure what he... What he did couldn't have been good for his health either. Yeah, for so many, uh, like six seasons, I think, of Larry Sanders. Yeah. So, um, yeah, in some ways I was really lucky because I got to work with Gary early on. I mean, the, the, the specials were before it's Gary Shandling's show. Um, actually, we, did, we, we had written a pilot for NBC uh, that was sort of Gary Shandling's show, but... Not as good, and, and it wasn't. It's not like I'm saying that was the show. Um, but I got to work with Gary before he had to dive in that deeply. So, uh, you know, when you talk to any number of the, the writers who have written for Gary over the years, it was not the easiest thing in the world. Um, he's just demanding. Demanding. Um, he's particular. Yes. And, and a, a super serious pro. Uh, yeah. And fortunately I got to work with him before I got that serious. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause he had his playful side too. He was a complex guy. So playful and so fun. And then also on the, uh, the intensity that he could bring to any given moment. I mean, I remember the first time I met him, it was such an intense moment, you know? And the, the majority of our friendship was before the intensity I can't imagine him without the intensity. <laughs> what, no, there was so, really a moment. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, there were, there were a few years. <laughs> Actual years. years? What? Yeah. When, that must have been uh, back when he was like, so, you know. So very his... few people. Very right. few people know this. So uh, Gary and I actually did a double act together. Really? Yes. So Gary's middle name was Emmanuel. My middle yeah. name is Daniel, and we were Daniel and Emmanuel. Daniel <laughs> and Emmanuel. And, uh, yeah. And the act was terrible. Fortunately, the act was just awful. Uh, we only did it a couple times. But before there was the pressure, I mean, Gary and I used to spend hours and hours on the phone just making each other laugh. Um, and so I didn't have to deal with um, stardom brings pressure. Mm. You know, your name on, on the marquee brings pressure. And I, I you know, it changed our relationship and it, you know, I'm sure it didn't help him physically, emotionally, in a lot of ways. That's sad. Right. I think, and that's a place where like, as a, especially as a comedian and artist, where if you have any insecurity and then you get famous and then the pressure hits, then it's almost going to put like a microscope on your insecurity of like, Oh my God, well, it has to be extra good. And how can I stay good? And now I'm so relevant. How can I stay relevant? And, and then the fear can really creep in and take hold. You have to be, have so much self mastery to make it through that. Yes. Um, so yeah, and it, it's much more intense. Did I have pressure of 
oh my God, it's a hit show. I don't want to be the guy who runs it into the ground. Oh my God. Sure. But it ain't the same. Mm-hmm. It's, not, it's, just not, it's just not the same. That's such an interesting point. I, I never really thought of it, you know, totally that way. It's really interesting. So what are you doing now? Tell me what's happening. So um, I, I, I'm writing something about dealing with the aging process, which sucks. Which it does suck. Oh my God. It's just the worst. Um, and so I'm writing, I, I'm writing about that and what form it's going to take. Um, I'm not ready to say out loud. Okay. I, I, I think it's a one man show actually is what oh, I think it is. And so um, that scares the shit out of me because I've never done that before. And, oh, wow. Because you're a you act too. A little bit. Mm-hmm. A little bit. So, um, yeah, <laughs> a little bit over the years, a little bit. Um, never loved, loved, loved it because one of the reasons I think uh, actors are so screwed up is you carry that shit around with you all the time. And uh, especially if you're doing dramatic work, it's, you know, you're living it, it, and you got to mem- remember lines and all sorts of things that never appealed to me that much. But I think this is what this may be. Um, but at this point, I'm just still getting it written. And the truth is, I've never been a writer who loves to write. Um, so it, it's hard for me to do that. So not loving to, like, to write is part of your process. Yeah. Oh, that's so tough. Yeah. It's, uh, nobody knows my pain. Uh, <laughs> so hard. I got to be funny all the time. <laughs> yeah, it sucks. So, uh, yeah, I mean, when I was doing the, you know, the great thing about TV is that, uh, what you're going to write today, you're going to shoot in four to six weeks and then a whole bunch of people are going to see your work and that's terrific. But when I was writing scripts, um, I'm like, I'm the only writer in the world who procrastinates. Yeah. So anyway, other than that, um, if I had the first, you know, four to six pages written already that I had dragged out of myself because that's usually exposition uh, in a sitcom. Um, I would take my wife and kids to the good earth for dinner. Oh, I remember the good earth. Yeah, right. and I'd drink like three or four glasses of their cinnamon tea. Oh, their amazing tea. So I was just thinking up. about that tea the other day. I was like, can I still get that anywhere? It's so Actually, good. you know what? At Thanksgiving, I was at somebody's house and somebody's, he had good earth tea bags. Somebody's bar? making good earth tea bags. <gasps> But I would get so jacked up on this tea, and then I'd go off to my office at the the house, play solitaire till like 11 o'clock at night and scare the shit out of myself. (laughs) And then somehow between then and like 5.30 in the morning, the script fairies would show up, and I'd have a draft. That's terrifying. Totally. Just (laughs) completely (laughs) wrong. (laughs) Off on the brink. Just, you know... And, you know, it was a first draft. It wasn't like I had to go to the table. Um, But very, very scary. Um, Obviously, you can't write a novel that way. Um, So that process and with what I'm writing now is there's no deadline. And 
you know, if I set a deadline, you know, the other part of me goes, oh, that's bullshit. So. I, I love writing novels. I write both. I write scripts and I write good novels. And good for you. <laughs> good for you. That's fun. Yeah. It's fun to read it after it's written. Oh, yeah. I mean, no I, doubt. I, I just haven't been. I've never, I'm never crazy about the process. Well, finishing is my problem. I, I can get into just so many levels of rewrites, you know, over and over and over. I'm like a 3D printer. I just go back and forth and back and forth. Like every book I write takes 10 years. It's terrible. And I tend to re do a lot of rewriting while I'm writing. Okay. Um, almost always go back to page one. I do too. Again, I, I wish that, that I didn't. That becomes harder after you're, you know, a hundred pages in. Oh yeah. Oh, uh, Totally. Yeah. I've killed off characters, you know, three years into writing a book and then had to just, you know, go back to page one and reconfigure the whole story and stuff. And then it's just, then you're pulling out your hair. So actually, if um, what I've done recently, I actually put all my novels, their scripts, it's all on marksotkin.com and it's all free. Well, it's so fantastic. So I, I saw that you have your script library up there, which is great. You know, these are scripts you just can't see anywhere else. Right, and, and the novels are there too. And just, I'd rather have people read them than, you know, than not. So it's all there for free. That's amazing. Thank yeah. you. And that's at marksotkin.com. Uh -huh. Yeah. 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 I, I noticed you have a video there too with, uh, with Ed Solomon. Yeah. I love so, it. Um, Ed tells, so I, I had started doing a number of videos uh, around everything about it is appealing, about people with horrible show business stories. Um, and Ed had told me this story years ago when I remembered it. It's worth seeing. It's really funny. Now, Ed, uh, Ed was it, still at UCLA when Gary uh, Shandling said, you got to hire, and I was doing Laverne and Shirley um, uh, on what turned out to be a, a season from hell. Um, oh boy. Well, in, so typical 22 episode season, you know, you shoot three or four shows and you take a week off. Um, so the writers can catch up the actors are tired. They need a week off too. So anyway, um, and then that's how you get through the season. This particular, I had already left Laverne and Shirley uh, to do a pilot called Working Stiffs with uh, Jim Belushi and Michael Keaton. Anyway, Penny Marshall called. She was getting ready to direct her first feature film. She was supposed to direct The Joy of Sex. She said she wanted me to do a rewrite. And so that we could spend more time together, I would come back and be the showrunner on Laverne and Shirley again. Oh, wow. But because she was getting ready to direct the movie, Cindy was pregnant with her first child. Um, we were going to shoot 22 shows in 22 weeks. They had to be in all 22 shows, but they were only going to be available for 18 of those weeks. So I would have to do pickups on those 18 weeks of uh, Lenny and Squiggy were going to Chicago. Lenny and Squiggy were back from Chicago. Okay. And that's what that season was going to be. And so I was looking for people who could help out. And Gary called and said, you got to hire this guy, Ed Solomon. So, um, talked to Ed, uh, told him I wanted him to come to work right away. He said he couldn't because he had a, he still had his finals. I said, fuck your finals. You don't need your finals. 
Come to work. You're going to be making your finals, man. You've got a job. You're going to be working by making more than your father on Monday. Just come to work. (laughs) I want to kill my parents (laughs) if I don't graduate. So, uh, oh my God. I was thinking about going to film school. He talks about this in the video, too. He's thinking about going to film school. You're going to go to film school to learn what you're going to do here. Just come to work. Anyway, yeah, no doubt. I, I gave him I gave him the other the week and a half that he needed to finish school. Anyway, so Ed came and, and, and that was his first real gig was working on Laverne and Shirley. Oh, that's super cool. Um, so anyway, but it, it's a it's a great story um, about Billy Bob Thornton and Pat Boone, a combination that you would not think works together um yeah you should go watch that video (laughs) oh that's fantastic yeah yeah. mark satkin thank you so much being an awesome guest and for your time today i really enjoyed talking to you it's fun thanks for being on the show have a great day yeah everybody go check out marksatkin.com you can watch the videos and read some of the scripts and his novels that he's got up online for us there you go bye-bye Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Entertainment Business Wisdom. We invite you to subscribe, like, review, and share it with your friends and colleagues. Kaya Alexander and Sylvia Franklin can be found on Twitter for your questions and comments. Kaya at This Is Kaya, T H I S I S K A I A, and Sylvia at R Writer, that's R. W-R-I-T-E-U-R. Get career training and a free ebook, How to Pitch Anything in One Minute, at www.entertainmentbusinessleague.com. Thank you.